We are going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. The book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 21. These are verses that we've actually looked at uh, years ago, but uh, today we want to look at them again in somewhat of a different light. In Matthew chapter number 21, we're going to read verses 6 through 9 in Matthew chapter number 21. I will also let you know that what we have recorded here is also recorded in the three other Gospels in some form or fashion. Some are more detailed than others. Mark's version is rather detailed, somewhat like uh, what we have recorded here by Matthew. Luke's is as well uh, rather detailed. John, in John chapter 12, verses 13 through 15, only briefly mentions this, uh, this uh, particular uh, historical event in uh, the times of uh, Israel, and uh, of course very pertinent to us today. Uh, but And we will, of course, make some reference to the other verses, uh, the other recordings of these events in the other gospel accounts, and so we'll read some verses from those accounts. But this morning in Matthew chapter number 21, we're going to read verses 6 through 9. We're picking up in the middle of the account of the Lord sending two of the disciples in to obtain uh, a colt and an ass uh, to prepare for his entry into Jerusalem. And so notice here in Matthew chapter 21, verse number 6, And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put, upon, put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The title of the message this morning is, Hosanna to the Son of David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we can be in your house today. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us Jesus Christ as the Son of David. Uh, Lord, that we uh, do know him as our Savior, as the Messiah. Uh, Lord, as he truly is, not just an earthly king, but uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we think about uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, help us, Lord, to give Jesus the rightful place in our lives as King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, help us not to be guilty and, uh, and thereby be convicted by Jesus' words where he said to some, Why call you me Lord and do not the things that I say? Lord, help us to afford Jesus his rightful place in our hearts. And Lord, may Jesus Christ be exalted and lifted up today. Lord, Lord, not just for his work here on the earth, but Lord, for what he did in purchasing our salvation and reconciling us to you. We thank you for all that you are and all that you have done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hosanna to the Son of David. Today is recognized in Christian circles as Palm Sunday. And of course, uh, the, the celebration of Palm Sunday uh, is related to a feast that commemorates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, this is actually, as so much of what we see observed in Christendom is, it is a, a Catholic tradition. And I read to you a quote about Palm Sunday. It says, Palm branches were placed in his path before his arrest on Holy Thursday and his crucifixion on Good Friday. It thus marks the beginning of Holy Week, the final week of Lent. Uh, and, of course, it is observed on the Sunday before Easter. Now, they have 
much wrong with what I just read. Of course, uh, the events that we're talking about uh, actually took place on the Sabbath Saturday before the crucifixion on Wednesday evening, uh, so their timing is all off. Uh, but again, we should not allow these types of things to deter us from feasting on what God's Word has to say. You know, it's kind of like Christmas. You know, we say, well, Christ Mass, that's an invention of Catholicism, and so we don't want any part of that. Well, we ought to recognize and celebrate the birth of Christ. The Scriptures do, and so should we. And so today we're talking about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The text records Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This is, a, this is a fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament. We'll look at that passage that is prophesied of Jesus entering uh, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords into Jerusalem. And of course we see that in our text here there's a great crowd that is gathered. In verse number 8 it says there's a very great multitude. In verse 9, it again speaks about the multitudes. And so there's a great crowd that is gathered together. And regardless of their motivation, and we're going to talk about that motivation somewhat in the message, they do treat Jesus as royalty. And I wonder in our own lives, and I'm speaking to myself this morning, I wonder how we treat Jesus as royalty. Is he our royal sovereign? Do we treat Jesus as we would, and do we afford Him the honor and reverence that we would an earthly king? And so you and I ought to be challenged by the message today, and yet we also ought to be comforted by the coming of the Messiah and Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Now, we're, our text is based upon what the multitude shouted in verse number 9. In verse number 9 it says that they followed him crying Hosanna to the son of David and so this morning we want to focus our thoughts on three facets of the crowd proclaiming Hosanna to the son of David and I want us to notice this first facet that their proclamation to Jesus as Hosea as uh, in, in, in proclaiming Hosanna to the son of David it is a recognition of of Jesus as the Messiah. That's what it is. The second facet we want to see is that in their proclamation, Hosanna to the Son of David, they are rendering reverence and praise to Jesus. And I would say as the Messiah, but I don't think that, that all of them were doing that, and we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. And then thirdly, this third facet of the crowd's proclamation we see that there is a reliance on Jesus to bring peace. And again, there's different views as to who was present at the time, uh, or those that were present at the time. I believe that there are two different views as to the reliance on Jesus bringing peace, and we'll talk more about that in the body of the message. And so we're talking this morning on this Palm Sunday on this topic, Hosanna to the Son of David. I want you to notice the first facet mentioned here in our text in Matthew chapter 21, we see that this proclamation, Hosanna to the Son of David, it is a recognition of Jesus as the Messiah, and literally it is a recognition of Jesus' position and place. Now when I say place, I don't mean His location, but I mean His rightful place as who they recognize Him as. They are shouting and crying, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, this is important. 
the biblical text is important because in their uh, crying unto Jesus as uh, uh, the son of David and proclaiming Hosanna to the son of David, what they're doing is they are accepting him as the Messiah. There was some significance attached to them calling Jesus the son of David. You see, the son of David was a title that would signify the Messiah. The Messiah would be known amongst the Jews as the son of David. In Matthew chapter number 1, in verse number 1, in dealing with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Bible reads this, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, it was impossible to convince a Jew that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, Jews today do not receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah. It was impossible to convince a Jew that Jesus was the Messiah unless it could be shown that he was descended from David. Now, that's important because we see not only in their acceptance of Jesus as the Messiah and recognizing his position and place, but they ascribed all power to Jesus as Messiah. Now, think about this. What they are crying out to Jesus as he walks uh, along riding this, uh, this donkey or this ass, if you will, <coughs> they cried saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. The word Hosanna literally means this, O save, we pray or beseech thee. That's literally what it means. And it has reference to Jesus as the king. We're talking about their recognition of Jesus' position and place. It, it has to do with Jesus as the king Messiah. In Mark's account of what transpired here, when Mark is talking about what they had to say to Jesus, in Mark's account, in Mark chapter 11, in verse number 10, the Bible reads in Mark chapter 11, in verse number 10, Blessed be the kingdom of of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest. And so literally here in Mark's account he is focusing on the relationship of Jesus Christ to David and he is focusing on the kingdom aspect of Jesus Christ's relationship with David. Now the Jews were familiar with the Holy Scriptures were they not? In fact, Paul tells us that the Holy Scriptures or the oracles of God were entrusted to the Jews and they took every effort to faultlessly uh, copy out the Word of God as it was given. And, uh, of course, they were familiar with the Holy Scriptures and this means that they were familiar with what we now know as the Davidic Covenant. And you remember when, when David wanted to build a house for the Lord, the Lord said, you can't do that, David, because you're a man of war and you're a bloody man. I'll let you prepare for it. I'll give you the pattern. Uh, you can make provision, but your son is going to actually build the house. But here's what I'm going to do for you, David. I'm going to establish a covenant with you that of your seed, of your lineage, there will be a king that will sit forever on the throne of Israel. And so they were very familiar with that. And so they see Jesus now coming into Jerusalem making the entrance, by the way, of a king. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. And they proclaim him, they recognize him 
as the Messiah, they are recognizing his position and his rightful place as the king of the Jews. Now, what is happening here is literally a fulfillment of what Zechariah the prophet prophesied would take place. In uh, Zechariah chapter number 9, in verse number 9, Zechariah prophesied this. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, what is prophesied of here, and, and what is mentioned here in Matthew chapter number 21, in particular verse number 4 and 5, and let's just read that for context. Notice Matthew chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Now I will tell you this just in passing, that the first portion of verse number 5 is actually a prophecy that was spoken by Isaiah, written by Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 62 and verse number 11. And then the rest of that portion deals with the prophecy of Zechariah in Zechariah chapter number 9 and verse number 9. The point is this. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. This prophecy dealt with the Messiah who would come and would be the king of the Jews. They are, this multitude is recognizing Jesus as the Messiah as they call him Hosanna, son of David. And so they're recognizing his position and his place. What they are doing is they are, they are shouting to the Lord. Now, the word Hosanna literally comes out of the Hebrew, and so many of our words uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Greek, uh, we don't have, read our Bible in the Greek, we read it in the English translation, but so many of the words in the Greek, of course, have their origin in the Hebrew words, and, uh, and here we find that the Hebrew word is actually traced back to Psalms 118 and verse number 25. And in Psalms 118 and verse number 25, the phrase, Save now I beseech thee, is literally Hosanna. Save now I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. And so they are, they are ascribing... They are ascribing to Jesus at he, that He is the Messiah. They are ascribing all power to Jesus as the Messiah because He is the King. In a nation that has a king, are there really any limitations on the king? Now, I know we have England has a, a king and a queen, and but it's, that's not really their form of government. But in, in a nation that has a true king, uh, a monarch, I mean, they're pretty much free to do as they please. And we find that in the Bible. There, there were wicked kings and there were righteous kings. And kings could pretty much do as they pleased unless the people would rise up and, and give them some sort of repercussion for what they did. Well, guess what? Jesus is king of kings. And he has all sovereign power and authority to do as he pleased, as he pleased and as he pleases. This has to do with the crowd shouting Hosanna to the Son of David. They were accepting Him as the Messiah and ascribing all power to Him as the Messiah. Brother Spurgeon words it this way in reference to the power and their, their, their cry out unto the Messiah. Uh, Brother Spurgeon writes, Hosanna! God save our King! Let David reign! 
or as we who live in these later days interpret it, let the Son of David live forever. Let His saving help go forth throughout all nations. Perpetually let us pray that our glorious King may work salvation in the midst of the earth. And that's why they cried out, Hosanna, O save, we beseech Thee, the Messiah, the King. And so there is recognition as Jesus, as the Messiah, there is recognition of Jesus' position and place. That's the first facet. But notice the second facet, and this is a little bit more detailed and a little bit more in-depth. We see that in their proclamation, Hosanna to the Son of David, they are rendering reverence and praise to Jesus. So on one hand, they accept Him as the Messiah. They ascribe all power to Him as the Messiah. But now they are actually rendering reverence and praise to Jesus. The crowd shows what they think and how they feel about Jesus. You know, I wonder in our own lives if others really know what we think and how we feel about Jesus. Look, I'm guilty of this. And I know that, that we all have times in our lives where, you know, we, we cower when the opportunity to render reverence and praise unto the Lord comes. We might be in a position where we're the only believer and, uh, you know, we, 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 we cower like perhaps Peter cowered when he denied the Lord. And maybe we don't blaspheme the name of the Lord. We don't, we don't curse uh, Jesus in his name and say that we don't know him. But our actions don't really reveal what we think of him and how we feel about him. Well, the crowd's actions and their acclaim revealed what they thought and how they felt about Jesus. They rendered reverence and praise to Jesus. Now, let's think, first of all, about their actions. What is it that they did that showed that they were rendering reverence and praise to Jesus? Well, let's read here. Look at, at verse number 7. It says, and, and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. We've mentioned this before. We believe in the verbal inspiration. At least I do. I believe in the verbal inspiration of the Scriptures. That every word is there for a purpose. I don't believe in a thought-for-thought inspiration because that leaves it up to man to determine how it's worded. I believe in a verbal inspiration, a word-for-word inspiration, that every word is there and it means something and it's important. So notice that they bring the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes. This is literally talking about the fact that they took off their looser upper garments and placed them on the beast that the Lord was riding on, and they were placed there to serve somewhat as a saddle for the Lord, and it was designed to make His ride a little bit more easy, and it was to afford Him some decency as He entered into Jerusalem. Do you know what literally they did? They literally gave Jesus the shirt off their back. And I wonder sometimes, again, we're trying to make some practical applications as we teach doctrinally about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I wonder if we're willing to sacrifice our possessions. What they did is they, they sacrificed their possessions. They literally took the shirts off of their back. They placed them on this beast that Jesus was riding for the ease, comfort, and decency of the Lord. And then notice verse number 8, the very first portion. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. So they not only took their 
outer garments, their upper outer garments off and placed them on the beast. But some took their garments off. Again, they sacrificed their own possessions and they laid them in the way on the ground as Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem. Now, there's importance to this because this was the custom of princes when riding in their, their, as head of state, in all of the pomp and circumstance, it was customary for those that were subjects of the king to disrobe their backs and to cast their garments on the ground, again, showing their reverence and homage to the king. And this is exactly what they did. They sacrificed their possessions to render reverence and praise to Jesus. Not only did they sacrifice their possessions, but they showered him with strewn palms. Look at the last part of verse number 8. We'll read the whole verse again just to gain the context. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And so we have some taking off their garments placing them in the way on the ground so that Jesus might receive the pomp and circumstance of a king. Others cut down branches and strawed them in the tree in the in the way. Now it's important to note that these were palm branches, as we find recorded in the other accounts. These were palm branches that were strewn in the way. And this is important because this is the way in which conquerors and princes were honored. The uh, subjects again of the king would cast flowers or garlands or evergreens before the warrior king who would return from claiming a victory and as the king entered into his kingdom this was the common way of testifying that this king had triumphed he was entering in as the lone ruler over his subjects and this is what they were signifying to the Lord Jesus Christ now the palm is important because the palm tree was emblematic of joy and victory. And so they are again reverencing the Lord, praising the Lord, rendering unto Him that which was due a king. They proclaimed Hosea, or excuse me, Hosanna, thou son of David, Jesus is the king triumphantly entering in to His city. So we see their actions. But notice their acclaim. We find this mentioned in verse number 9. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now watch. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I preached a message years ago entitled Hosanna in the highest. It's a different message than this message. The focus was different. Here we're talking about Jesus as the Messiah and how the, the multitudes rendered reverence and praise to Jesus. We saw it in their actions. We see it in their acclaim. They used their breath and their voices in joyful acclamations to the Messiah. They rendered the sacrifice of praise as we're told in Hebrews chapter 13 that we as the Lord's people are supposed to do. Now again, they are shouting and crying out to the Lord this reverence and praise. We looked at, or we read, read to you Psalms 118, verse 25, uh, just a few moments ago when we were dealing with the definition of Hosanna. But now I want you to think about Psalm 118 and verse number 26 and how it is referenced here in Matthew chapter number 21 and verse number 9. 
In Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 9, the multitudes literally cry out, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Well, how about this in Psalm 118 verse 26? Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. You know, some folks say, well, you know, it's inappropriate to say, Blessed be the Lord. Because we, we can't give blessing to the Lord. We're, we don't bestow blessings upon Him. That's not what that means. It's a term of praise. It's a term of reverence. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be He that cometh in the name of the Lord. The word blessed literally means to praise or to speak well of. And that's exactly what they were doing. Luke's account gives us further insight into how they... Uh, rendered reverence and praise unto Jesus as the Messiah, the King, by their voices. In Luke chapter number 19, verses 37 and 38, we read this. Luke chapter number 19, verses 37 and 38. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Verse 38, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The word glory literally means honor, praise, or worship. Now it kind of reminds you of uh, what the angels proclaimed when the when the Lord was born in, in Luke chapter number 2 and you can go back and read about that how that there was peace and, and glory manifested at the birth of the Messiah and now we have this, this other critical point in the life of Jesus here in his public ministry as he is triumphantly entering into Jerusalem now we're talking about the multitudes rendering reverence and praise to Jesus as the Messiah we see it in their acclaim with their voices do you know that during Jewish festivals it was common for the people of Israel to sing. And we see that in Psalms 115, Psalms 116, Psalm 117. We've already read a few verses out of Psalm 118. How do we praise the Lord? We praise the Lord in song. We lift up our voices in song to the Lord. This is why it's so important, the songs that we sing. It's so, it's so important that we don't just, you know, chant and recite a a verse over and over and over, you know, and I mean, it, it, you know, the Lord is majestic, but chanting that 20 times and singing that 20 times doesn't really do what we should be doing in our songs. We sing these old-fashioned songs because they have scriptural messages in them, and they are for the purpose of ascribing and acclaiming glory and praise to our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what the song service is supposed to do. I've said this a million times. The song service is supposed to be uplifting. And I'm glad. I believe ours is uplifting. We are pointed to God. We are pointed to the Messiah. Well, you know what? That's what they did during Jewish festivals. And in the singing of those songs, the Jewish writers inform us that the people, as they would sing, they frequently responded, Hallelujah or Hosanna. They sang these praise efforts to the Lord. In fact, in Psalm 69, verse number 30, we read this. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. I believe literally what we have recorded here in verse number 9 of Matthew chapter number 21 is they're, is they're crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. 
uh, Hosanna in the highest, I believe that they're singing praise in a song unto the Lord. Now the word highest here, in verse number 9, Hosanna in the highest, the word highest means supreme. It literally means, though thou that art in the highest of heaven. Now there's an allusion to all of this that takes place. Them taking their, their outer garments off and placing them on the beast that Jesus is riding. And others taking their garments off and, and strewing them in the, 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 the uh, passageway in the streets as Jesus makes his way in. Others taking palm leaves and branches and placing them on the ground. And then them crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. There's, there's a purpose in all of this. There's an illusion in all of this. And when I say illusion, I don't mean I-L-L-U-S-I. -L -L I mean illusion, A-L-L. It is an illusion to the custom of the Jews as they practiced it in the Feast of the Tabernacles. One of the three great feasts that the Jews observed. The first seven days of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the, the people would go outside and one, they, would, they would circle once around the altar each day with a palm and others would have branches in their hands and they would sing Hosanna to the Lord. On the eighth day, the observance was a little bit different. On the eighth day of the feast, they walked seven times around the altar singing Hosanna and they termed this practice Hosanna Rabbah or the great Hosanna. And I believe what they're do, what the Jews are doing here is they are littering, literally rendering praise unto Jesus Christ as the Messiah as they would do unto God at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Adam Clark says that really what the Jews are saying is this. Let the heavenly hosts join with us in magnifying this supreme being. And I just want to ask you this morning, do we in our own lives have that same attitude? Do we take the attitude that we render reverence and praise unto the Lord? Is Jesus the supreme being in our lives? It's important for us as we think about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that many churches will be recognizing and celebrating next week. We recognize and celebrate that every Sunday because we serve the Lord on the first day of the week recognizing the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we should think about how we view Him. Do we recognize Jesus as the Messiah? Do we, do we recognize His rightful position and place? Do we render reverence and praise to Jesus as the Messiah? Not only in our actions, but in our acclaim, in the words that we speak and how we praise Him. Well, there's a third facet that we must consider before we're done. And that is this, that the multitudes were exhibiting a reliance on Jesus to bring peace. Now, why were the people recognizing Jesus as the Messiah to come? And that's an important question. And I posit this. I believe that there were two groups of people there. There's a great multitude. There's no doubt some that were true disciples and recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And when they sang... Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna in the highest, I believe that they were recognizing Him as the Messiah that was to come who would bring salvation spiritually to His people. But I believe, and we're going to talk 
more about them in just a moment. But I believe that there was another group that was there that did recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And they did so because they were relying on the wrong piece. See, some, I believe, relied on the wrong piece. Now, there is no doubt that there was a very great multitude. According to Matthew 21 and verse number 8, there was a very great multitude. The Kimberlin uh, lexicon says that that means that there was a ton of people there. Okay, there's a ton of people there. And and in, a, in the ancient biblical world, a leader would enter back from his, uh, from his, his, uh, what he did when he would go out to war and different, different activities that we, he would be involved in, conquering other cities and nations, and he would enter back in to his sphere of domain. And if he entered on a horse, <laughs> others would be concerned because he was coming in war. But if he entered on a donkey, it signified peace. What did Jesus enter in on? He did not enter on a thoroughbred horse. He entered on a donkey. And of course, this would signify to others that saw him that this is a king that is coming in peace. The strewn palms that they placed before the Lord were used by Roman soldiers and the Jews as symbols of peace. And so I believe that when they saw the Lord coming, riding on this donkey, and, and people are placing palm branches out in front of Jesus, they are saying, this must be the Messiah. He is the Son of David. But here's the problem. They were not relying on Jesus to establish a kingdom to come. They were relying on Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom and to bring them deliverance from the Romans. And beloved, there is a huge difference as to what is being spoken of here. John gives us further insight on this. In John's version of what took place, in John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. In John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Now listen to this. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Do you know what this group of people thought? They thought that Jesus was coming as an earthly king to establish an earthly kingdom at that point, that He was going to be their Savior, not in spiritual matters, but in earthly matters. He was going to deliver them from being in bondage and subjection to the Romans, and He was going to bring peace to the Jews, and that would be an earthly peace. Do you know that this is indicative of what we read in the New Testament about what people thought of Jesus? Do you remember when Jesus worked a miracle? and fed thousands of people recorded in the book of John chapter number 6 and they sought Jesus and they sought Jesus why? they didn't seek Jesus because they wanted to be saved from their sins and become a, a, a citizen of a kingdom to come 
They sought Jesus because they wanted to make Jesus a king. You know why? See if it isn't the same today. Because they wanted him to produce this food for them so they wouldn't have to labor for it and they would never be hungry again. They looked at Jesus as modern day welfare. I'll prove it to you. Listen to John 6 and verse number 15. In John 6 and verse number 15, the Bible says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And you read John chapter number 6, and there's other verses that we just don't have the time to read this morning that indicate that they wanted Jesus to be king so he would continue to give them an endless supply of earthly provision. You know that there are many today that would say, you know, I recognize Jesus as the Messiah. I recognize him as king. And I render praise and reverence to Jesus as king. But they only do so based upon what Jesus can do for them. This is, this is why in the parable, the Lord talked about those that, that had, you know, the parable of the seed and the sower, how those that have no root, because when tribulation or persecution comes, they're out of there. Well, they're only there for what Jesus can do for them. Jesus is the modern day version of the government's uh, version of welfare. They only want to be a child of God when things are well for them and when God will give them things. And that's how some, I really believe with all my heart, viewed Jesus as king. But you know what? Even though some relied on the wrong piece, there very clearly were others that relied on the right piece. They relied on Jesus to truly and literally bring peace that man needs. Luke in his account says, in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 38, rather I should say writes, in Luke chapter 19 verse 38, the Bible says, and we already read this verse, we read verses 37 and 38 of Luke 19, but in Luke chapter number 19 verse number 38, Luke records this, it says, the people were saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now watch. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know that there is a vast difference between wanting peace here on this earth and wanting peace in heaven. You say, now wait a minute. How can there not be peace in heaven? We did a series, we preached a series on heaven a few months back. Heaven, the third heaven. There's the first heaven and the second heaven. The third heaven is literally the dwelling place of God. How can there not be peace in heaven if God dwells in heaven? Well, it's talking about peace between man and God. Not peace between man and man, but peace between man and God. Now, there were no doubt those disciples that are mentioned in all four accounts that they recognized Jesus as the Messiah, as the true King of kings and Lord of lords. There were those disciples that rendered reverence and praise to Jesus. And they relied on Jesus to bring peace. And they were looking for Him to bring the right kind of peace, not the wrong kind. They weren't just looking for an earthly peace. They weren't just looking for deliverance from the Romans as Jews. They were looking to Jesus for spiritual deliverance and peace with God. Now think about this. 
These Jews, we've already pointed this out, and I don't think it's open to debate, the Jews knew the Scriptures. Now, they didn't rightly interpret the Scriptures in every instance, of course, but they knew what the Scriptures said. And so they knew the word of peace. They knew the Holy Scriptures. What was prophesied of the Messiah that was to come? In Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6, we know this well. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And how about this? The Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. So they knew the word of peace. That the Messiah that was to come would be literally the Prince of Peace. But how would this coming Messiah make peace? What kind of peace would he bring? Well, they knew not only the word of peace, but they knew the way of peace. They did not think or believe that Jesus was coming at that time to set up an earthly kingdom and bring peace with the Romans and deliver them from bondage with the Romans. You know what they believed? They believed that Jesus would bring spiritual peace. You see, the Messiah would make peace. But He would not make peace by establishing an earthly kingdom, but by yielding up Himself and dying for the sins of His people. That's how He would make peace. That's the right kind of peace to look for. In Colossians chapter number 1, Paul writes about this peace. In Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 20, the Bible reads, And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him, to reconcile all things unto Himself by Him, I say, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven. There's a heavenly peace. And that heavenly peace is peace with God. It isn't marked by peace with other nations here on this earth. In fact, if you were looking for Jesus to come and establish His earthly kingdom during His first time here on this earth, you're greatly disappointed because He didn't come to set up His earthly kingdom. Those that were looking for Jesus as the Messiah to set up an earthly kingdom and deliver them from bondage to the Romans, they were looking for the wrong kind of peace. Jesus came to bring peace. Peace in heaven. Peace with God. And it's only by experiencing peace with God that you can have internal peace or experience the peace of God. Man, listen. You look at the situation in our world today and there is not peace, is there? (laughs) It's far from peace. And yet, if I were to say to the Christian, do you have peace? You have peace. You know you have peace with God. The battle's over. Jesus died for your sins and reconciled you to the Heavenly Father. And you can enjoy the peace of God. The peace that passes all all understanding even in the midst of all that takes place here on this earth. That's the peace that Jesus came as Messiah to deliver. When Jesus made His triumphant entry into Jerusalem sitting on that donkey, And everybody sang praises unto Him and reverenced Him as the coming Messiah. Some reverenced Him only as an earthly king. And others reverenced Him 
as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. How do you reverence Him? How do you recognize Him? Jesus is the King. Jesus entered in triumphantly before His death, burial, and resurrection into the city of David, Jerusalem. The crowd chanted and cried out and sang, Hosea to the Son of David. Rescue us. Save us. We beseech thee, thou King. That's what they were saying. There were three facets of the crowd's proclamation, Hosanna to the Son of David, we looked at. Their recognition of Jesus and His position and place as Messiah. They rendered reverence and praise to Jesus. And they relied on Jesus to bring peace. How are you relying on Jesus to bring peace? Do you have peace with God? Man, that's the most important peace anybody can have. Jesus. Hosanna to the Son of David. Let's pray.